Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation. Anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And today is the first show recorded after the new year. I hope everyone had a great new year. I spent it sleeping, well, for a little while, until the fireworks went off at uh, 10 o'clock and then 11 o'clock. And then just before midnight and at midnight, so I woke up and my two girls, my nine-year-old and 12-year-old, they stayed up with mommy till midnight and I heard the fireworks going off in the neighborhood. So I woke up, it was about 10 till midnight. I said, happy new year. And then I went right back to bed because I was working the next day. It's actually kind of silly that I work on some of those holidays. I don't mind. I I don't mind working, especially on New Year's Day. Uh, I mean, there's nothing going on. There's really no traffic. Occasionally, there's some kind of catastrophe that happens on a holiday. But, uh, you know, personally, I'd rather work on a quiet day and then be off on a busy day. But that's that's just me. And I, I, you know, I... If, if I were in management, I would actually, not, not that I'm suggesting this to the management if they're listening, um, <laughs> but I would tell all the traffic people, look, there's no traffic on these days, so why do we actually have you working? And we shouldn't even need to uh, replace you for the day. If there's some kind of calamity, then it would be covered as a news event, and, and we wouldn't, you know, it, 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 we would be fine. So we, we should just have our traffic people off on every holiday and then have them on on regular work days when it really matters and not on holidays where it doesn't matter. Now, I, I, again, I don't mind working the holidays, but anyway, that's what I was doing for New Year's Day. And I am looking so much to a better year than the one we just finished. Just about everyone, I think, is also looking forward to a much better year. My wife keeps telling me that she feels she has some kind of good uh, juju some some super mojo that she has and she feels she is getting this this sense that it's going to actually be a really good year. So from her lips to God's ears, I I hope it <laughs> I hope it works out that way. No guests on the show today, but in just a bit, I I want to get to this article that I saw over the break. For a lot of people, it was a couple of week break. I had a friend of mine who had this uh, company uh, PR company who would shut it down. She would just shut it down for two weeks. Uh, be, you know, before the pandemic, she would just say, "Everybody out of the office. You're not working these two weeks. We're not doing anything. Everybody go away. It doesn't count towards your time off or uh, sick time or anything like that. It's just we're 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 giving you the two weeks off because it's so unproductive and and there's no need for you to be here. Um, and so during the break, I was doing some reading. And I came across this one article, and here's the headline. Stop driving five miles an hour over the speed limit. You're contributing to America's addiction to speeding, and you're you're much more likely to kill someone. It was written by Evan Weiss in Outside Magazine, and I have some issues with his assumption of speed. So I'll tackle that article coming up in just a bit. And many of you listeners who are out of state or out of country will never come here to Colorado. And that's unfortunate because it's a beautiful place. And you won't be able to drive one of our more breathtaking scenic highways. Well, I found a way for you to see them virtually. Everything is virtual now, right? Including the drive in Colorado. 
There's a video game, if you will, called American Truck Simulator. And it has released a downloadable content that allows you to travel to Colorado, including uh, uh, drive along some of these iconic roads like the Million Dollar Highway right here along the Front Range. The game was designed to let players experience life on the road. And that's what it's really all about, this American Truck Simulator, as you're driving a big rig. And it's known for its realistic depiction of many well-known landscapes across the United States. Now, the scenery of Colorado is quite remarkable. It, it's not exactly like being here, but it, it's close. It really looks good. You get to see the contours of the mountains and the hillsides and drive up some of these canyons where the river or stream flows right next to it. And then you're uh, surrounded by these canyon walls uh, of mountains. It really is nice. And you can find this game and the downloadable Colorado content on Steam. The game itself is 20 bucks. The Colorado pack is an extra 12 I, I don't know if it's if it's worth to you <laughs> to, to see what it's like. There is a demo out there. If you look for um, American Truck Simulator and then Colorado, there are some videos out there that at least show you a little bit about what it looks like so you don't have to buy the whole thing uh, just to get a taste. But I don't know. It's pretty neat. I, I, I got to drive in a uh, big rig a couple of times in my life. I, th I always think it's pretty neat. I always like going up there and seeing how some of the truckers outfit their cabs. Uh, especially the long haul guys. Uh, all right, let's go to the mailbag. It's time to go to the mailbag. And today it's Kelly from Loveland who writes, what's driving you crazy? On TV last week, you talked about an accident where a car hit some barrels filled with water that caused the highway to get all wet. Doesn't the water freeze during the winter and wouldn't you just be hitting barrels filled with solid ice? Well, Kelly, that's a very... Astute observation and a great question. Now, what I was told by the construction workers who work on this project, it's out on the I-70 drive east of downtown Denver, and it's actually a, an impact attenuator that was hit. Those barrel I call them barrels on TV, but they're actually just partially filled with water, and they're also filled with liquid magnesium chloride. So it's not pure water. It's a mix of the two. So the contractor assures me that the mag chloride solution will not freeze even in the coldest temperatures, so you're not going to hit an attenuator or one of these big barrels full of ice or even some chunks of ice or anything like that. You are going to hit a barrel that seems like it's full of water, but it's a mix of water and magnesium chloride. These crash impact devices in, in most states are not filled with pure water because of the possibility of freezing. Now, if you're in a warm weather state... You might just use water for filler because there's there's really a low chance of of having those barrels freeze or even get a little bit of ice in them. But in the cold weather states, you know you never know when it's going to freeze, so they do mix it with some mag chloride. And there's different types of attenuators, and, and some of them are filled with liquid, while others are filled with sand. But most of the time, those round barrel attenuators that are filled with sand, but they're not always filled with sand, and they're not always just pure sand. Because when they're filled with sand, it's actually a combination of sand and salt. So the salt keeps the moisture in the sand from freezing. So again, you're not just hitting something solid. If you crash into that thing, it actually can absorb part of the impact. And that's the design of them. They're uh, designed to absorb an impact and not just stop you. Um, because what they do is actually with these, with these attenuators, sometimes they'll put them in a line. 
It almost looks like a, a pyramid. And the first one in the, in the line will be barely filled. And then the volume of the sand or the liquid is increased in the subsequent attenuators as it gets closer to, let's say, a point or uh, an area they really don't want you to hit. So if you crash into it, it will slow your vehicle down and not just crash and immediately stop you. It slows you down gradually. And it's done to make you safer for the people in the vehicle if you unfortunately hit one of those attenuators. So uh, there you go, Kelly. It's um, it's not full of just water. It's full of water and magnesium chloride, so it doesn't freeze. If you have a question you want to write to me, you can always send it to my Gmail account uh, here at Driving Your Crazy Podcast at gmail.com. You can also get to uh, the denverchannel.com. That's the website, uh, the Channel 7, Denver 7 website, uh, the denverchannel.com. And then you click on Denver 7 Traffic, and then you click on Driving You Crazy, and you can see all my driving you crazy stories that I write every week. And you can uh, get, there's actually right there also a, a submission form if you wanted to write me a question. Uh, that's a good place to do it. Um, whether it's a road question or a transportation question or whatever kind of question you have, you can do it right there. You can also leave me a voicemail at 303-832-0217. 303-832-0217. I'm sure that you've heard car insurance companies say that if you let them track your driving, you can save some money on your car insurance. We've had different companies here on the show talk about that. Root Insurance is one of them where they track your driving on your phone. They can tell how fast you're accelerating. They can see if you're taking turns too fast, if you're speeding, how far you're driving. And then they base your insurance quote on those numbers and uh, they, they say if you don't drive very fast or you don't drive very far, you're going to have a lower insurance quote than if you drive farther and drive faster and, and overall do that sort of thing. Um, and and th- th- they, they put that app right on your phone, and it's going to track you out via the GPS, right? Now, General Motors wants to get in on this action because you see a lot of these companies doing it. Now, they're launching OnStar Insurance with plans to make it available to the general public by early this year. And they want to go nationwide by the end of 2021. And they're not just selling car insurance. General Motors is expected to sell insurance policies to all vehicles, including non-General Motors cars. It doesn't matter if you have a car, a truck, an SUV, if you have a Mercedes, if you have a Lexus, if you have a Toyota, whatever you have. They are going to sell you insurance because money is made in insurance. And so they want to get in on that action. They're also looking at going with uh, or selling homeowners and renters insurance through its new agency called OnStar Insurance Services. So not only is General Motors going to sell you the car, they're also going to sell you the insurance to go with it. They're going to insure your house that your car is parked in and uh, and maybe your boat and your RV too (laughs) at the same time. Now, GM says it's eventually going to tie their auto insurance rates directly to the consenting driver's performance and how you do on your driving. They're going to collect all this data wirelessly from the vehicle and rather than use your education history, because I know on, on my insurance quote with insurance, they ask you how much schooling you've had and they have your credit report and all your other personal facts 
So GM says they're not going to do that. They're going to base it basically on just your driving. And OnStar Insurance President Andrew Rose, he didn't provide any more estimates about how much their average driver might save because it's really dependent on so many variables, including the kind of car you drive, your road habits, your previous infractions while you're driving, and the location where you're driving. It's obviously more expensive to insure somebody in a cold weather state where the potential for snow and ice is compared to Arizona, right? But he did say the savings would be quote unquote significant. I, I, I could use some significant savings. I think everybody could use some significant savings. Insurance gave me about $15 in savings uh, <laughs> once or twice during the pandemic saying that uh, we're giving a rebate back to our customers. Yeah, the $15 on a $1,800 a year policy really helped out. Thanks, insurance. But still, they're the, the, the least expensive ones I can find. The average cost for car insurance is about $1,500. And we learned that from our interview with Nick Dean from Insurify a few episodes back. That, uh, I think it's episode 185 if you want to listen to that one. Uh, a, ma- a majority of drivers, though, haven't yet opted in to these watch-you-drive insurance rates. Many have been weary, like me, of handing over my, my driving data without getting something really good and concrete in return because I still... I still don't want them tracking me. And if I want to drive five or 10 miles an hour over the speed limit on the interstate, then, then you shouldn't, I, I don't want to be dinged for that on my insurance. And, and yes, I know it's quote unquote, a technically more risky behavior, but the, the, I, I'm willing to pay a little bit more, I suppose. So you don't watch me. Um, uh, maybe that's just my generation, and, and the younger generation just doesn't care. I, d- I don't know. Um, I mean, how much I save is the biggest factor for me to let them track track my driving. Now, let's say I was saving five or six or eight hundred dollars a year. That, that I would probably, you know, I, that, that that's a pretty good chunk of change. And I would probably change my driving habits and let them track me. But I, I would need to see some substantial discounts for me to sign up. And I would have to see some car, hard concrete numbers. And um, what was it? I think it was, oh, Geico maybe. One of the companies was telling me, hey, you can get this uh, really low rate. You can, get, But but it's only going to be for the next six months. Well, I don't want, I, and then what after six months? It's like a introductory rate. I don't, I don't want the introductory rate. I want the, the rate. And I want it to be low all the time. I, I have a good driving record, no crashes. I've had hail damage, but that's it. Maybe that's why my rates are higher. Now, G General Motors used to sell insurance through its GMAC unit for, for many, many decades. And it ran into financial troubles, sold off the division in 2008. GMAC re- rebranded as Ally. You've, I'm sure, heard of the Ally. Uh, one of the X factors, though, in this insurance business is the emergence of the autonomous vehicle, including Tesla's autopilot. And GM has something called their Super Cruise. It partially drives the, the car on uh, for you know for you while you're while you're in in, in the car. And as self driving technology becomes more of a reality in the years to come, especially not full autonomy, but at least partial autonomy. 
Some insurance industry experts think that the rates will begin to fall because when you take out the human element, there should, in theory, be fewer crashes. And with fewer crashes, it means that they are not going to have to pay out as much. Uh, and therefore, your the, the overall rates, not just for you, but for everybody, should go down. Tesla actually began selling insurance to its own vehicle owners in California, and they plan to uh, expand to other states. And several other automakers have partnered with insurance companies to offer policies to their customers. And we've talked a little bit about that in the past uh, here on the show and uh, about some of the subscription services some of the companies are, are offering. And just another way for the companies to really cover you from head to toe, get you the car, get you the insurance, get you, get, they're going to start selling you gas next, right? And maybe they're going to have, I mean, I guess they have the dealership can take care of your car too. Um, so yeah, they're going to, they're going to cover you from head to toe. And speaking of going a little bit too fast, you know, truth be told on the highways, I tend to drive a bit over the speed limit, main roads, secondary roads, my neighborhood roads, basically at the speed limit, maybe a touch slower, definitely slower in, in residential areas where their kids might be around. And I saw an article the other day, and it had this headline. Stop driving five miles an hour over the speed limit. You're contributing to America's addiction to speeding, and you're much more likely to kill someone. It was written by Evan Weiss in Outside Magazine. Evan is also known as the bike snob. That is the title of his blog. I'm not slandering him. It is the title of his of his blog that he has called The Bike Snob, and you can as uh, Google it right now. now. Evan starts off this piece by stating, Speed kills. And he continues with his article saying, In the United States, roughly 40,000 people die in traffic every year. According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Motor vehicle speeding killed over 9,000 people in 2018, which means around a quarter of all traffic deaths in this country are speed-related. What he should have said is that speed is a factor, not the definite cause of each of those fatalities. He doesn't know exactly why somebody died in a crash. Speed could be a contributing factor, but maybe the person was drunk. Maybe the person was old. Maybe the person had, there was some freak, a part of the crash that caused the person to die. You can't just blame it solely on speed. But that speed is a factor. He continues, the NHTSA attributes our speeding epidemic to four factors, traffic, running late, Anonymity, drivers becoming detached from their actions while in their automotive cocoons, and disregard for others and the law. This is all a diplomatic way of saying that people who drive too fast are selfish a-holes. <laughs> That's his word, not mine. That, that was him saying it. Evan continues. But while it's easy to blame the D-bag in the BMW who flies by you in the right lane at 97 miles per hour for this national epidemic, the truth is we're all a bunch of a-holes when we drive. It's just that what each of us considers speeding is relative. While the legal speed limit on every given stretch of road is generally fixed and unambiguous, there's also the speed at which most people actually drive on that stretch, which may be well in excess of whatever number is posted on that little white sign. 
All right, first, the legal speed limit is actually set based on the 85th percentile rule. This is a well-established method of setting speed limits. It's basically the rule that on any given roadway, if you're monitoring the speed in which most drivers are going, you set the speed limit at the speed 85% of those drivers are going. That in its simplest form is the 85% rule. And speed limits can also be set higher or lower than the 85% rule based on, on a ton of factors. In downtown areas, you're going to have a speed limit that's, that's lowered as a way to make driving inconvenient as to force single drivers to get in a bus or a train or, or walk or ride a bike. We, we've all seen that. We, we still hear stories about that. But there's also areas that you want lower speed limits uh, because maybe children are around, there's schools around. Maybe you want a little bit higher than the 85% rule uh, just because you're out in an away open space, whatever. But it's it's just a general rule that is uh, followed by, by most traffic people, engineer people, people who set these sort of things. There is also something called the U.S. Limits 2 program that helps determine the appropriate speed uh, recommendations for any particular roadway. So it's not just uh, uh, you know unambiguous uh, picking of, of a speed limit. So, so let's get that <laughs> out of the way. All right, back to the article from Evan Weiss in Outside Magazine. For practical purposes, here in the U.S., we're pretty unconcerned with speeding just as long as we're going the same speed as everyone else, and we don't think we're going to get caught. No doubt there's a fancy traffic engineering term for this phenomenon, but comedian George Carlin articulated our approach to gauging our own speed better than any transportation policy wonk possibly could. Basically, anyone driving slower than you is an idiot, and anyone driving faster than you is a maniac. Uh, that's actually a good bit by George Carlin. He, he was one of my favorites. If you're a law-abiding driver... You've no doubt been honked at, or worse, by fellow drivers enraged by your insistence on motoring along at a reasonable speed. Driving too fast has become so ingrained in our culture that we treat speeding not as a choice made by individual drivers, but rather as a immutable force of nature more akin to the ocean currents or the jet stream. I do not agree with Eben's assertion here. He must see all drivers as speed demons, no matter how fast they're going. I don't like people blowing past me. I, it, it makes me a little bit nervous as well. But if they go that fast, then they go that fast. It, it, and, they, and they have to suffer the repercussions of, of their actions, right? There are times where I just want to motor along at the posted speed limit. And I move way over to the right lane, and I hang out, and people do come up behind me, and then they get around me, and I don't worry about it. I'm not all... Uh, bunched up in my in my conscious about slowing somebody down because I want to drive the speed limit and they want to go faster. There's plenty of road for them to go faster. I've moved over. I'm comfortable doing what I'm doing. And you just have to be comfortable in your own skin to be able to do that. Anyway, here's where Evan Weiss in Outside Magazine shows his true intentions in this this article. He says, it's not like we didn't see this coming. There was a time early in the last century when pedestrians ruled and cities called for speed governors on cars. But the automobile industry successfully flipped that paradigm and instead created the concept of the jaywalker to criminalize the act of walking. 
Now it's the vulnerable road user, pedestrians and cyclists, who pay the price for speeding because it's much easier to blame the victims who drown in this rolling sea of recklessness than it is to blame the sea itself. Okay. First, pedestrians didn't necessarily rule cities in the early 1900s. There were horse-drawn buggies. There were trolley cars. They were just people on horses. And yes, they were pedestrians. And yes, they were people on bikes. But is it, it, it's not reasonable to say that it was only people walking around cities. From, from the beginning of time, people have wanted to get on something that takes them faster. Whether it's a horse or a mechanic or a train or a car or so anything that takes them faster than their feet can make them go, right? I mean, that's th- th- it's just human nature. There were even some very early motor cars in cities. Once Henry Ford made the dream of owning a car possible for the masses, they started buying them and driving them because it's much easier and it's much more efficient to get around in an automobile than it is to get around on your feet. And it's more efficient to do deliveries. It's more efficient to go to the store and bring your groceries home. It's more efficient to go just about anywhere in an automobile, even at that time, and then bring your goods and services home. People would do it on horses. They would do it in buggies. They would do it in a wagon, whatever. It's just more efficient. People naturally are looking for a more efficient way to do things. And there's nothing wrong with that. If we didn't have this efficiency, we wouldn't be where we are now. If everybody was still just walking around or riding their bike, we wouldn't have the same level of technology. We wouldn't have the same level of efficiency that we enjoy right now at this time in human history. Ever since the beginning of man, we've been looking for easier ways to get around. I mean, how long have we been riding animals? I mean, why did we invent the wheel? (laughs) Humans want to find an efficient way of doing something. And right now, it includes using a vehicle, a motor vehicle. It's just one of the most efficient ways to do that. And even with all the measures to make urban driving more challenging, I don't want to see people or bike riders hurt in a crash. That's not what I want. I'm not saying that we're, 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 we're going to put cars over people and bikes. I don't want to see people getting hurt. I do think, though, that distractions are the biggest factor to the problem of recklessness when it comes to driving more than speeding. Speeding can be a problem. But recklessness of distraction is more of a problem than speeding and people should be held accountable for their actions and i've always said for a long time if you want to stop something then you make the penalty ludicrous it's the old adage that i've said for a long time whatever you tax you get less of whatever you incentivize you get more of so in this instance if you make a penalty ludicrous let's say speeding Make it a $10,000 fine. You're speeding 
10 miles an hour, uh, 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. Or how about this? For every mile an hour over the speed limit in a urban downtown area, you're fined $1,000. So if you go 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, that's a $10,000 fine. If you're also found to be reckless while you're driving, another $10,000. If you kill a pedestrian or a bicyclist, uh, I don't know, maybe it's too strong, but what about second degree murder? I mean, there are real consequences to these issues. And if you put some teeth behind the penalty, then maybe people will take driving more seriously. It's not an issue where the car is inherently a problem. It is the person operating that vehicle that is the problem. And typically that person operating the vehicle is distracted. And if you eliminate the distraction, which some states have tried, and you can't do it because people are so addicted to their phone uh, that it's just nearly impossible to get it out of their hands and out of their minds. But if you make these fines ridiculously high and egregious, I I don't know necessarily know you want to fill up prisons with, with, with people who are are uh, uh, speeding at five miles an hour over the speed limit, but if you make fines much higher than they are now, people will pay attention and you will get much less speeding. And that's that. Uh, at least give it a try. Why not give it a try and see what happens in a real life experiment, and then and then we can go from there. I don't think there's a politician though in any local, region, state, regional, federal government that is going to go along with this and advocate, yeah, we're going to, for every uh, mile an hour over the speed limit, you're going to get fined a thousand dollars. I don't think you're going to go with that. I'd like to see somebody try though. It'd be nice. Uh, and see how it, how it changes driver's behavior. Anyway, Evan Weiss continues in urban bike and pedestrian advocacy circles. There's widespread recognition that we've got to curb speeding in order for walking, biking, and life in general to flourish. As part of its Vision Zero initiative to eliminate traffic deaths, New York City lowered the citywide speed limit to 25 miles an hour in 2014, thanks in no small part to the efforts of those advocates. In so doing, the New York City Department of Transportation noted that a pedestrian struck by a driver at 25 miles an hour is half as likely to die as a pedestrian struck at 30 miles an hour, which is an astounding statistic. Short of banning cars altogether, it's hard to think of a change that would pay more dividends in terms of safety than getting drivers to slow the F down in any society. That would be the top priority. Again, you can lower the speed limit to 10, but you're still going to have people breaking the law and hurting people if they are going a certain speed. Even at 10 miles an hour, you can kill a person. It is possible, especially with the design of of cars and trucks now, where they have more of a front uh, that is flat rather than pointed, where you would roll up on the car, and and the and the points usually are down by the knees, upper thighs. Now the the cars are just totally flat, so you get hit and you see more injuries with uh, hip injuries and more broken bones and more deaths because of car design now compared to years ago. But but you can lower the speed limit to, to five miles an hour and you're still going to have people breaking the law. And they're still going to hurt people if they're distracted and they're not paying attention to what they're doing. 
And that is the real problem here, not just the speed limit. Lower the speed limit to to one, and you're still going to have people breaking the law and being distracted. It, it, it and then it's then with limited enforcement, and then what 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 is the, the, if you don't have the enforcement, then you're not going to. It doesn't matter what your speed limit is if you don't have somebody monitoring what people are doing then it doesn't matter what you're you're lowering the speed limit to. You have to combine it with enforcement. So you have to slower speed limit, you have enforcement with that, and you have r- r- crazy fines, and you make sure that people are not distracted. That will save lives. Right there. It's not just necessarily lowering the speed limit and asking everybody to drive that way. You have to have enforcement behind it. Because people are not right now, at least scared that they're going to get caught doing any bad thing on the roadway. Evan continues, however, among the wider culture, and this includes plenty of cycling enthusiasts, most of us are similarly velocitized. We're driving to our rides and we're doing so in cars that get more powerful every year. Since 1990, average motor vehicle horsepower has increased by about 70%, and the next generation of cars is only going to up the ante. A Tesla Model 3 does 0 to 60 in under 4 seconds, and word is that GM's electric Hummer is going to have positively stupid levels of horsepower and torque. Moreover, we're a country with a fairly abysmal road safety record, given our wealth and status as a world leader, and yet our automakers continue to market their products by evoking intimidation and fear. As consumers, we squander money on gratuitous horsepower, can't buy the model with the base engine, it's underpowered, don't you know, and we remain singularly unconcerned with the implications." We may be vaguely aware of the dangers of speeding, but we're more inclined to gawk at the viral videos than really do anything about it. Now he's just emoting. It really doesn't matter what the horsepower is. Any car on the road today is capable of killing a person or a bike rider. From the largest F-350 to the smallest Mini Cooper, all of them are fast enough to kill a person. It doesn't matter if you have a five horsepower. I could kill you if I'm driving a go-kart with a engine that came from my lawnmower. It's, it's, again, it's not, he's emoting about the, about our culture of, of wanting big cars or fast cars. Why, I, 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 yes, and I've said this, why buy a Ferrari when you can't drive it over 75 miles an hour and it's capable of doing 200 I don't know. Somebody wants to buy it. They want to show it off. Whatever. That's up to them. If they have the money, good for them. I, I wish I had that money, but I don't, and I would spend it in other ways. But now you, you can't just emote that way. It really doesn't matter what the horsepower is. Any car can kill a, a person on a bike or a person walking across the street. Y- even a little Prius can kill somebody if the driver is speeding and distracted. It's the person operating the vehicle and not necessarily the vehicle alone that's doing the driving. I've talked about this in the past about modern cars with more the the flat fronts that cause the injuries rather than the pointed fronts as we talked about just a minute ago. Uh, we, we, We can't forget about the driver doing the driving no matter what they are driving. It is them who is responsible. And I've talked about this for a long time It is the person responsible. 
Evan continues, Short of banning cars altogether, it's hard to think of a change that would pay more dividends in terms of safety than getting drivers to slow the F down. I'm sure Evan would love to see that, but it isn't likely to happen. He says, it's tempting to say that autonomous vehicles will fix everything and that one day algorithms will shepherd us around without exceeding the speed limit. But don't hold your breath. A far more pragmatic and readily available solution is automated enforcement. Data from New York City's speed camera program indicates that drivers do in fact slow down once these devices have been deployed. Nationwide, opponents of this technology love to derive speed cameras as revenue raisers, but this only reveals their profound sense of driver entitlement. Namely, that's how they comport themselves on public roads. Should be entirely at their discretion. Plus, New York City school zone speed cameras pop up drivers who are going more than 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, which means you really got to be trying in order to get caught. All right, then if the cameras are just set to go off at 10 miles an hour over, if you have automated cameras, then what's the usefulness of that in your scenario, even if you're saying one mile and over the speed limit will kill more people? Didn't you just say that the speed limit on New York City roads is now down to 25 miles an hour? And if someone hits somebody going 30 miles an hour, you're, you're twice as likely to die or killing twice as many people, Th- then it must be a lot more if it's 35 miles an hour, which is you're still not going to get a ticket for that. Didn't he make that point? If this is all about stopping speeding, then why not set the cameras at the speed limit and not over? Right? Evan continues. Recently, the city took its fight against speeding a step further with the Dangerous Vehicle Abatement Law, which will allow it to seize and impound vehicles with 15 or more school speed camera violations or five or more red light camera violations during a 12-month period unless the registered owner or operator completes a driver accountability course. Before the new law, drivers could run up unlimited camera tickets with no consequences just as long as they paid the $50 fine. This will potentially allow the city to intervene before these drivers have a chance to maim or kill. And while no doubt someone out there will see this as yet another sign we're sliding into a minority report dystopia, the reality is that the speed cameras reveal the egregious degree to which drivers routinely exceed the speed limit. Up till now, we have only been finding out that killer drivers are sitting on a mountain of camera tickets after it's too late to do anything about it. Meanwhile, in Los Angeles, speed limits are creeping upward as a result of state laws designed to protect drivers from speed traps. In Texas, Governor Greg Abbott banned speed cameras statewide. He also boasted about it on Twitter, which is a pretty audacious thing to do when you're the governor of a state where the 2018 traffic fatality rate was almost 13 per 100,000 people. That's more than double the rate in New York State the same year, so he has no reason to be smug. Hmm. I don't think Abbott is a fan of Governor Abbott. Or of Texas. He continues. As cyclists, we should be acutely aware of the dangers of motor vehicle speeding. And we should all drive accordingly. However, that's not going to make a dent when there's a tsunami of traffic behind you. And all the drivers are laying on their horns. It's going to take a massive movement of people who refuse to accept the carnage. It's going to take traffic calming street design. And just as crucially, it's going to take technology. So until we're ready to smile and say cheese for the speed cameras and crop to our speed addiction, we're just going to keep spinning our wheels. 
That again from Eben Weiss in Outside Magazine. I had this exact debate with Rob from the Denver Bike Lobby. And their hope is that cars will be banned from urban streets and that they will only be used for pedestrians and bike riders. And that's the way it is. No middle ground. It's us versus them uh, when it really should be a good driver versus bad driver mentality. Increase the fines. Increase the penalties for bad driving, for speeding, for distractions, and you're going to see less of it. Try that. It's not the cars driving themselves. There's not a soon and, and if you had a tsunami of traffic behind you as a bike rider and they were all and all those drivers are honking at you, well then wouldn't you feel better if you just for the brief moment pulled over to the side and let them ball by? Uh, I I would. I, I would feel okay doing that. And I'd also feel okay just continuing on my way. But don't you think you should be somewhat considerate? Because you're not the only person using the road. It's not just the road for the people who want to walk on it. It, it. It's for everybody, right? Isn't it a public road? Shouldn't everybody have the ability to use it? Or no? It's only for certain people doing certain activities. But that's that's that. That's just the way it is. And and it. I do see a a, a time where you're going to have the. Urban versus suburban. You're going to have these downtown areas. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised if it starts with, let's say, one or two city blocks where they start to, uh, let's say, on our in downtown Denver, and a lot of cities have this, you have a pedestrian mall. 16th Street was turned into a pedestrian mall. All that's allowed to drive on there are the, are the police or the uh, free mall shuttle that drives up and down, the electric buses that drive up and down, and uh, you can hop on and hop off. Well, I, I can imagine a time where they will have, they'll include another street. Then they'll include a whole city block. And then the, that block will start getting wider and wider and wider. That's what's going to happen. And then they will have a 8, 10, 12, 15 city block where you're not allowed to drive. I don't know how they're going to get deliveries in there. Maybe they'll make exceptions in certain hours of the night to get deliveries into certain businesses. I mean, I, I don't know how you're going to get your Amazon packages delivered or your Uber Eats car in there when you want it to show up at your apartment and it's in the uh, no drive zone. Um, but that's eventually what's going to happen. So you can walk or bike. That, that's that's And then all the people who live outside those cities are going to have to park in an area around them so then they can get into the no drive zones and you're going to have the drive and no drive zones, the urban and the suburban. And when, when it's going to happen, I don't know, but that's, it just seems like that is w the way that we're heading towards. And, and, you know, uh, you can, you can, you can have your urban. That's fine. Do what you want. I'll, I'll stay outside the urban and drive around here and, and go, be, go pick up my food at the grocery store and then drive it back home. All right. Anyway, if you have comments, questions, concerns, you can always drop me a line either at uh, Driving a Crazy Gmail at, uh, or G Driving a Crazy Podcast at gmail.com, 303-832-0217. You get all that info on the uh, description of this podcast, and, uh, and you can tell me what you think. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. Be safe. 
Please continue not to drink and drive. Don't speed and drive. Don't distract and drive. Just take care of your driving behavior and drive better than what Evan Weiss wants you to drive. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.